Hello and welcome to Hogan Lovell's Newsbeat, the podcast that keeps you up to speed with developments in the world of pensions over the last two weeks. I'm Claire Southern and I'll be taking you through the things that you really need to know about. We'll be taking a look at three cases from the courts involving the Pension Protection Fund, the BBC and the University Superannuation Scheme. New PASA guidance on data and defined benefit schemes, some guidance from the Pensions Regulator on super funds and some observations from LCP on sole trusteeship and the bulk annuity market. So first up, the case of Brass Trustees Limited versus Goldstone and the Pension Protection Fund, and a shout out to the lovely Nick Stallworthy KC who was involved in this one. The Pension Protection Fund is the lifeboat arrangement that provides compensation to members of schemes where the employer has gone insolvent and there are inadequate funds to provide benefits in full. Judgment builds on the case of ITS and HOPE, which held that trustees should not take into account the existence of the PPF, even if doing so would, in practice, give members a better outcome. Now, the case in hand involved a decision by the trustees to issue petitions to wind up the employers, which would then allow them to trigger a scheme wind-up. Now, because of the way PPF compensation works, it can be beneficial to members to allow employers to continue even if they are in stressed circumstances. This is because more members will reach their normal retirement dates and become entitled to the higher level of PPF compensation. The judge held, however, in keeping with the ITS and HOPE decision, that trustees should put the existence of the PPF out of their minds when considering how best to take matters forward. Next up, another decision from the courts, this time on the BBC pension scheme. We understand that AMTI was becoming concerned about the cost of its defined benefit accrual, which was only open to people who had joined before December 2010. Whilst defined contribution staff accounted for some 60% of the workforce, only 20% of pension spend went their way. So understandably, AMTI decided to see if some cutbacks could be made to future accrual in the defined benefit scheme. The difficulty with this was the terms of the amendment power set out in the trust deed and rules. This effectively said that there could be no alteration which substantially prejudiced the interests of members unless a resolution of members approved the change. A debate then followed about what interests were protected by the wording in the amendment power. The judge applied a broad meaning to interests, rejecting the idea that it covered only accrued benefits and found that it also protected future service benefits. So a reminder that first off, you always need to check your amendment powers, and secondly, that the courts don't necessarily approach pensions queries through the lens of the accrued rights rhetoric. Our last case involves the university superannuation scheme, who've been subject to claims from members concerned about decisions regarding funding, investment and benefit changes. Members' claims touched on assertions that the actions were discriminatory and failed to manage properly the risks associated with fossil fuels. Now, the action generated quite a bit of interest in legal circles because they were bought against the directors and former directors of the trustee company, which is worrying for anyone who is a director of a company. It's generally very difficult in English law for these types of claims to be brought. The action is called a derivative claim, and for those who get their kicks out of this type of stuff, 
there are exciting things called multiple derivative claims and double derivative claims. I'm not one of those excitable types, so I'll cut to the point and say that the Court of Appeal rejected the claims, ruling that some of them were not, in fact, even derivative claims. So let's turn now to our friends in Brighton, the pensions regulator, which had issued some guidance on defined benefit super funds. Super funds were suggested as a way to help schemes without an employer covenant or with a very weak employer covenant and involve a transfer of the assets and liabilities to a consolidator pension arrangement. Now, interestingly, there's only one super fund that has successfully completed the pensions regulator assessment, and there have been no transfers to that arrangement. Notwithstanding that, the pensions regulator has issued some updated guidance on these arrangements. Next up, the Pensions Administration Standards Association, known as PASA, has issued a document giving guidance on defined benefit data. It makes the following key suggestions to schemes. They should have a benefit specification document approved by all key stakeholders. They should consider a data specification that lists the key data items held along with a supporting description and the location of that data. They should consider a benefit audit where they test benefits and to automate where possible. Finally, they should look at using external third parties to undertake benefit and data audits to assure impartiality. We also had a couple of useful bits of information issued by LCP that I thought might be of interest. The first shows that sole trustee appointments are on the rise, up 20% for the second year on the trot, and that the first half of the year saw a record amount of insurer activity with over 20 billion of buy-ins and buy-outs in the first half of the year. A roundup of the news, just to remind you that on the 13th of September, we'll be hosting our in-person training day for new trustees and anyone companies hide who'd like to gain an understanding of pensions. Anyone's welcome. Thank you for listening to the session. Check us out on Twitter at HL Pensions if you want to know more. <laughs>